and pro- This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Those were the words of Billy Graham. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. So, as you, as a man, as a grandfather or father, as you are listening to today's program, are you one of those most valuable assets in our society? I was just finishing reading the biography of Michael Reagan for his father, the famous Ronald Reagan. In fact, the whole focus of his book was on fatherhood and the reverberating effects of Ronald Reagan as a man on the life of Ronald Reagan, who actually, excuse me, on the life of Michael Reagan, who actually was adopted early on at three years of age by Ronald Reagan. Well, fathers are either famous or infamous. To one degree or another, a father is either a father or he's not. And a sperm donor, well, you might sow the seed for a child's life, but a father injects social and spiritual direction for the child's living and destiny. And that is what that entire book by Michael Reagan concerning his father, Ronald Reagan, was about. Very touching. And it wasn't glorifying Ronald Reagan. Rather, it was showing how what happens if you unzip a man's life. So let me ask you a question. If uh, someone were to come along and unzip your life, if you had a great zipper running right down from, say, your your mouth all the way uh, down to your uh, groin, what would happen if that were unzipped? What would you look like? What would your innermost being, we're not talking about the flesh and blood. Now, we're talking about your innermost being, who you really are as a man and as a father or a grandfather. If that were to happen, what would you look like? What would your wife think that you looked like if you were really unzipped? How about your kids or your grandkids or even those around you? What would they think you looked like? It's interesting as... Michael Reagan described his father, Ronald Reagan. It wasn't as if he gave some sort of a Pollyanna view because he saw the clay feet of his father. But on the other hand, he also saw the tremendous impact and import of his father's life, not because he was a president, but because he was a father. That is what struck Michael Reagan. And so today on Viewpoint, Rather than talk about the life of Ronald Reagan, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about the life of our fathers. Let's talk about the life of our grandfathers. 
let's unzip our lives for some sort of public view. Interestingly, the Bible says that God sees it all. He sees our downsittings and he sees our uprisings. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're but dust. But there's nothing that's hidden from him. Our innermost thoughts, our innermost motivations, uh, our downsittings, our uprisings, they're all known and seen by him with whom we have to do. Nothing is hidden. So as we unzip our lives together today and take a look at the power of fatherhood, I hope that you will kind of uh, just open your own mind and your own heart. And the same actually for women, moms, grandmothers, and so on, who are eavesdropping on the conversation here today. I know that they are yearning for their husbands and their uh, the fathers of their children, the grandfathers of their children, to be and become the men that she would envision that they should be as godly fathers. But men are having a very hard time with that, a very hard time indeed. And so amid these struggles that we're having as men, and we see the, the fallout from that all over our country today, when you look at the rebels among our young people today, it's largely due to the breakdown of fatherhood. It's largely due to the fact that a million children every year since 1968, no-fault divorce, have been left virtual orphans by their mothers and their fathers because of divorce. That's one of the main reasons. And then there are the busyness, the hurrier we go, the behinder we get, as the bumper sticker said back in the 1970s. It's just that all of the forces of our lives seem to mitigate against the power of fatherhood. Even so, even to the extent that a, a famous actress several years ago appeared in one of these uh, uh, special award shows, I can't remember which one it was, and she made this declaration on television, down with patriarchy, down with patriarchy. In other words, down with men, down with fathers, down with uh, uh, grandfathers. We don't need you. You're a bunch of oafs. We don't need you. Down with patriarchy. Well, for men, for you, for me, for all of us, we have to rise above that attitude, above that spirit. And we have to reveal from the inside out what real fatherhood, what real grandfatherhood and so on really looks like, what real manhood real, uh, reveals itself to be. And so we're going to unzip ourselves here today in order to allow us to consider, shall we say, restructuring, restructuring our inner fatherhood, restructuring our inner fatherhood. And there's no substitute for a genuine father, none. In fact, I will go so far as to say that the future, the very future of our country is at stake. The future of our families, the future of our society, our churches, our nation. And yet, even more solemnly than that, the spiritual destiny 
of untold millions is at risk due to fatherlessness. And you know what? God cares. In fact, he's more deeply concerned about this than we probably are, more than we can comprehend, because he is described in the Bible as a father. Jesus himself said, as an obedient son, I don't do anything I don't see the, uh, see the father doing. I don't say anything I don't hear him saying. And he wanted us to understand the nature of that link to fatherhood. Do you? Please stay tuned here today on Viewpoint. It could be life-changing. It could be family-changing. It could be marriage-changing. It could be church-changing. It could be nation-changing. Who knows, but what you, as a father, have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. And I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Today we're talking about the power of fatherhood, and we're unzipping our own lives, if we dare, to take a peek inside, realizing that God, by His Spirit, sees it all anyway. But we, from our position as humble men, wanting to do the will of God, wanting to truly please our Father, Uh, we are willing, at least in our minds and our hearts, to unzip and become transparent before him. That's what we need to do in order to regain the power of fatherhood. So we know that fatherhood is under assault. We know that masculinity is under assault. In fact, just about anything of value these days is under assault, isn't it? We see that. In fact, God's authority is under assault. He's under assault as father, and that's why, believe it or not, that's why the hyperventilated version of environmentalism is the worship of Mother Earth. Why? Because Father God has fallen on very, very hard times. So, the effective power of your life as a father or grandfather, all fathers, is directly related to his perceived authority as a father in his own household. And the question is, how do we gain that authority, or how do we lose that authority, and how can we regain that authority? Particularly in times when you have, throughout the entire 1970s, the feminist uh, revolution, uh, which was the increasing lordship of women, Uh, even in their own homes, and the denigration of men. Now it's come to a head, and we're seeing the horrific fallout to the point where even our secular sociologists are saying that the number one social problem in America today is fatherlessness, number one, and that all the other issues are hinged to fatherlessness, 
Now, if that be true, or even close to truth, then not only are we in big trouble, but we also have a tremendous opportunity ahead. So as dads, as grandfathers and men, we might say, well, I'm the father in this house. Well, that's making a protestation of the right to authority, and it might be ever so true by reason of position, but it might not be particularly persuasive to affect enduring fatherly purpose. Why is that? Because another way of gaining authority is by usurpation. In other words, we grasp onto it, and seldom does a man gain fatherly authority in his own household by usurpation because he has the God-given position of authority. But oftentimes a man loses the authority in his home by, okay, women, this is your turn, by a wife's usurpation of his authority, either in whole or in part. And, and the root of this competition, I know it's not popular to talk about this, but the root of this competition for authority in the home is stated as a painful consequence of the curse of the fall of man right there in the Garden of Eden. So many men abandon their authority by refusing to exercise it, thus leaving a mother, though, with the unenviable task of trying to fill the father's shoes. So women, many women, will say, well, I have to, somebody has to do it. Somebody has to fill in the gap. Somebody has to stand in the gap with the kids. Somebody has to discipline. Somebody has to be the spiritual leader. Somebody has to do it. Right. That's true. Somebody does. And dads, we are the ones who are charged before God with the primary responsibility, which is very powerful, to do what God tells us to do. To be the men, to be the the uh, fathers and grandfathers that he causes us, calls us to be. So if a man fails or refuses to embrace that God-given mantle, well, guess what? He's not going to fulfill his true fatherly mission and is going to leave a lamentable legacy. So he's going to leave a legacy, but that legacy is going to be lamentable. Now, as Michael Reagan was writing about his father, Ronald Reagan, there were certain aspects that were lamentable. Not because Ronald Reagan had intended them to be lamentable, but in the busyness of his life, there were things that, well, just didn't get imparted in terms of the kind of time that was necessary to be with his kids particularly the younger kids, Ron and Patty, his sister, who became rabid political liberals and refused to embrace the Lord. But Ronald Reagan himself was a true believer. Yes, in fact, Michael Reagan talked about how his father, uh, one day on a plane flight, talked to him about his love for the Lord, his love for God, and Michael Reagan said, because of his father's embracing of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that he himself not only has done that, but has seen the necessity from God's word 
as to how to be a true godly father and grandfather. So it's like father, like son. The power of fatherhood is rooted in the essential characteristics of fatherhood or in what it means from God's perspective. From God's perspective, what it means to be a father. A lot of fathers have cultural ideas of what it means to be a father, but they don't have a biblical or godly view of what it means to be a father. So if our perspective, guys, differs from or even diminishes from God's perspective, then our power as fathers is also going to be diminished and it's going to severely affect the legacy that we hope to leave with our kids. And it's not about money. So in the balance of our program here, we want to take a look at what the requirements would be from God's viewpoint to truly be a godly father and develop the true power of fatherhood. And I hope that uh, you will stay tuned. I'm Chuck Chris Myers, conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And I want to make available to you my book, Hearts of the Fathers. Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. It's a hardbound book, and uh, there's no question about it. There's a fatherhood crisis in our country. The U.S. Census Bureau says that one in three children live without their biological father in the home. It's a serious, serious problem. But the worst problem, the worst problem is not that the father's not in the home, but they're not fathers when they are. Mm, Because they don't understand. If you unzip their life, you find they don't understand what it means to be a father from God's perspective. No wonder, is it any wonder, think about this, that the next to last message that God gives to the world, and particularly the church, is about fathers. The next to last message before the second coming of Christ in the end of the age comes in the last chapter of the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, before 400 years of prophetic silence. And here's what God said through the prophet Malachi, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Now, why would that be? Because God knew omniscient, he knew what was going to happen in these end times, that people would fall away from their calling, their godly calling as fathers, and the children would be left languishing, and it would seriously impair their spiritual destiny. And God desires that none should perish, because he's a father, but that all should come to repentance, and to walk with the Lord in the light of his word. And when we do that, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. So here's the book, Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. 
a $23 book, yours for $18 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. I hope you'll avail yourself of it. It will change your life. It will change your family. It will change your relationships. Pastors, don't think that you are not needful of this book. I grew up in a pastor's home. And my father grew up in a pastor's home. And I've seen the life of pastors and pastors and pastors from all over the country. And I know the brokenness in pastors' homes. When 70% of pastors' wives say that their marriages are not good. 70%. That's telling us that the men are failing. Oh, they may not be failing in their outward ministry, but when you unzip their lives, they're failing. So make sure you get a copy of the book, Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get the book out to you. And you know, friends, here we are at the end of April. You know that Father's Day is going to be coming up pretty soon. What an incredible gift this would be. What an absolutely perfect gift this would be. Hearts of the Fathers leaving a legacy that lasts. Now, I want to make a, uh, a simple expression of gratitude here for the many people who have over the years been supportive, lovingly supportive of this ministry, some for uh, 20 years now, faithful as the day is long, every single month. Just amazing. Some with a quarterly gift. But I can tell, I can tell where the hearts of many of these people uh, are located. It, It enables me to unzip their hearts, and I can see the depth of their desire to please the Lord and to be a participant in what he's doing through this ministry. You might not be able to be on the air yourself, but by God's grace, we are and still are after almost 26 years now. Next month on the 7th of May, we'll complete our 26th year on the air, five days a week, live, every day with a new and fresh message from the Lord tied to the issues of our time to bring change that we can believe in. That's right. So if you have not decided up till now to join those who have been participants, and by the way, uh, if I were to give you the sheer number of those, uh, you would be shocked at how relatively small that number is. Because there is a relatively small number of people, God calls them a remnant, a relatively small number of people who truly see his heart 
and embrace his kingdom from his viewpoint. Oh, there are many professing Christians out there who have the gimme God blues or uh, have embraced a kiss me better mama religion or whatever else you want to call it. Uh, But in reality, they just don't see themselves in a real fashion as being kingdom minded, even though Jesus said that there are two things that are required. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the other things will be added unto you. My wife and I have learned that through experience over many, many years. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the other things will be added. We'll be right back. The power of the Father. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Climb into your chariot, men, grandfathers, fathers. Let's climb into your chariot now. Anchor your seatbelts because we're going to move very rapidly to take a look at 12 separate points from God's perspective of what it takes to be a godly father and to exercise the power of fatherhood so that we can leave a legacy that truly lasts, that we would want to last. Again, we continue to unzip ourselves so that we can take a look inside as we go through these points. Now, there's a first of all, there's a rhetorical question that we have to ask. Am I living as a true son of God? Now, here's why that question is so important. Because if I am to be a good and godly father, I have to first be a good and godly son, both to my earthly father and to God as my heavenly father. So where either one of those relationships is broken down, in whole or in part, it's going to impair my ability today to be a good father or grandfather, a godly father or grandfather. So I have to set my fatherly house in order. If I'm going to be perceived in my own home, among my my wife and my kids or my grandkids, if I'm going to be perceived as having legitimate godly authority, then I am going to have to be perceived as one who sees his sonship before God as father and walk as an obedient son. So you might say this is God's affirmative action program. What? For to set the stage 
for his blessing, to set the stage for his blessing. So if I'm to be a godly father, I must first be a godly son. So now we're ready and willing and able, I hope, to uh, get on now that we've unzipped ourselves and our minds and our hearts are open to see what the Holy Spirit might say to us with regard to our own lives in fathering, grandfathering, on the near edge of the second coming, if we were truly aware, friends, dads, we have to be truly aware of the times we're living in. Jesus warned about that. Jesus warned about it over and over again. He gave parables about it. Are we really aware of that? Are you aware of these times? I'm not talking about cultural problems. I'm talking about the times from God's viewpoint. That they were on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Are your kids prepared in their minds and their hearts to receive the Son of God who is coming this time not to save people from their sins, but to judge the world in and for its sin? Have you been preparing them with that view in mind? Most fathers have not. Most fathers haven't even been concerned about it themselves in their own lives, if we're truly honest. So the first thing is, God has ordained fatherhood for a purpose. He's ordained you as a father, as a grandfather, as a man for a purpose. And that purpose, what do you think that purpose is? Well, that purpose is to fulfill God's purpose for leadership. First with your wife, and then with your own immediate family, and then continuing then to extend your family and ultimately to a broader fathering influence in the surrounding society and especially in the community of faith. Just like Abraham was called to be a blessing, he was blessed to be a blessing, and he would become the father of many nations. So, in, in a sense, then, every one of us has to come to a genuine sense of God's purpose and then embrace that purpose by faith, meaning every day intentionally doing His will with the expectation that through our simple obedience, God's going to do, by His gracious favor, yield a legacy that's above anything that you and I could ask or think. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, the next thing we need to do is not only understand that God has a purpose, but he also has a perspective. And fathers are ordained by God to bring this fathering perspective to the earth. Now, God has it. There's no mystery why fathers and fathering have been under such enormous and increasing attack for the past three centuries. Because the arch enemy of your soul and our society has been determined to destroy or defame not only fathers and fatherhood, but in general, God is father. That's what he's really after. And so this assault against fatherhood and all things masculine has progressively undermined the strength of true faith and replaced living faith with the lordship of, guess what? Feelings. You could call it a demonic sleight of hand that has saturated every single aspect of our culture, 
and invaded our churches and, yes, even our ministries. So this divinely ordained male perspective from God has been mocked and massaged into virtual mush, undermining the gospel, redefining God solely, solely by a feminine mystique. And our sons and daughters desperately need fathers and moms, each reflecting their own aspect of the nature of God, right? So our viewpoint determines destiny. If we don't have God's viewpoint or perspective, it's going to affect whether or not we're fulfilling his purpose. Now, the next thing is presence. And there's no substitute for fatherly presence. In fact, in the book that Michael Reagan writes concerning his father's legacy, he has one section there where he says there's no substitute for time. Time. But time itself doesn't tell the story. For instance, you could be a father, and you could be sit there watching television, and your children could be with you, but it doesn't have any effect on their life, not at least a fathering effect. You're just doing what you want to do and ignoring them. They don't know that you care. And your kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So there's no substitute for fatherly presence. And when that presence is gone, their perspective and yours is lost. So this kind of fatherly presence is what often separates mere men from manly fathers who desire their existence to have a meaning. Maybe you've sung the song, Oh, the glory of your presence, we your people give you reverence. Or the psalmist who said, In your presence is fullness of joy. Or Moses crying out to God, If your presence does not go with me, I can't provide the fatherly leadership you require me. See, it's all about presence. Jesus, I want you to think about this for a moment. A lot of people don't really consider this. Jesus did not have a do-it-to-you ministry. He had a do-it-with-you ministry. He chose 12 to be with them. And he spent three, three and a half years with them. He walked with them. He talked with them. And don't we like to sing that song? Well, we used to like to sing the song called In the Garden. Yeah. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And he walks with me and he talks with me. We like to think about that from God, but don't you think our kids and grandkids might... uh, think that that was pretty important from their fathers and grandfathers, especially if they were going to be imparted a genuine godly heart and wisdom. The next thing is a principle. And in reality, principle is the backbone of fatherhood. So pragmatism is the thing that rules our country. We're known as pragmatists. Whatever works. But when pragmatism rules over principle in a man's life, 
hate to put it so bluntly, but the man castrates himself spiritually and renders himself a eunuch, unable to bear spiritual children. I want to say that again. When pragmatism, that which seems practical only, rules over a man's life instead of principle, in reality, that man is castrating himself spiritually and rendering himself a eunuch, unable to bear spiritual children, let alone disciple them, by the way. It's the sad state of many men and much ministry today. A principled man is powerful in influence because he's a lover of truth, God's truth. And he's not swayed by the seductive dictates of the culture or the seeming majority out there and every wind of spiritual titillation that comes down the uh, pike. And he doesn't vacillate under the lordship of his own feelings. And that's why the psalmist wrote, his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. My goodness, do we need men like that today. Men with hearts who are fixed. That doesn't mean we're not humble and willing to uh, change to conform to God's word, will, and ways. But our hearts are fixed in following the Lord with a whole heart. And then, fatherhood provides an umbrella of protection. A lot of women attest to the fact that they do not feel their husbands protect them. They do not feel that they're under the umbrella of their husband's care. I'm not kidding you. And kids feel that way too. And it's genuine protection that can be trusted in times of trouble. It's the reliable security that engenders faith rather than exposing to ungodly fear. Are your kids or your spouse, are they fearful in times of COVID? Maybe you're the problem. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. There is no substitute for a godly father. There's no substitute for fatherly presence as we take a look today at the power of fatherhood. Unzipping our own lives before the Lord so that he, we have the sense that he sees us 
for who we really are. Are we really godly fathers? Am I really following the Lord with a whole heart? Do I really seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? Is my presence really there for my kids, or am I playing a game? Does my wife really feel that she's under my protection, an umbrella of protection, a godly umbrella of protection? All these things really matter. And God's protection as a father is secured by our trust and obedience, guys. In fact, the book of Proverbs says, whoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So, a father's protection of his own kids is secured the same way. The first commandment with promise, honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you. So a man whose children are disobedient is going to have a hard time protecting them. And it may or may not be the father's cause that they are walking in disobedience. I said it may or may not be, but we better check ourselves out. Because if we are walking as dads, as men, dissing God's word in whole or in part, and our children see it, and they'll follow our example. And what the parents allow in moderation, the children will take to excess. That explains a lot, doesn't it? All right, the next point we want to look at in pursuing the power of fatherhood is provision. Provision at all levels is fundamental to the fatherhood. And if we purport to protect without providing, it really is a perversion of God's purpose for fatherhood. So that's why the scripture says, if a man will not provide for his own house, he's worse than an infidel. And that's why God, his father, is called Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. We have to be, we fulfill the provision aspects that God expects of true godly fathers. In fact, you could say that God's greatest fatherly lament is connected to the children of Israel's failure to value and trust their father's provision and promise. Do you know that it kept them from the promised land? All but two. Then we have to be men of passion. We're not talking now about sexual passion. We're talking about a godly passion. And it takes godly passion to fulfill a godly purpose. So only godly passion born of godly purpose can fulfill the godly future of fatherhood in your sphere of influence. But the absence of a profound sense of godly purpose is preventing godly influence and it's perverting any hoped for godly legacy that will last in millions of families in America and across the world. There's a reason why God is called the Everlasting Father. In fact, Jesus himself is referred to in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, as the Everlasting Father. Interesting, isn't it? And a father without a godly passion for fatherhood is nothing but a child in a man's body. 
He's adolescent in mind and selfish in spirit. He's living in the myopia of a self-world. He's always taking selfies of himself without any kind of vision or consciousness of divine destiny, either for himself or for his kids. And next, we need to look at the need for persistence. It's one thing to have a vision. It's one thing to have a desire. It's quite another thing to press on with it over hill, over dale, and hit the dusty trail. A true father is persistent in passion for his kids. He is convinced that love never fails. He he just continually presses toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and trusts that his investment will bring fruit of God-ordained fatherhood. And he realizes, a godly father realizes that the persistent and passionate nature of a father will bring about success that is rooted in a divine partnership. In other words, God is saying to you and to me, you do what you can, and I'll pick up the the slack and do what you can't. Now, I like that. And the persistent father seeks faithfully to be blameless as a son of God the Father amid a wicked and perverse generation that is ever darkening before us. And our kids are desperate for that kind of leadership and example and influence. Next, patience. (laughs) This is a tough one, isn't it, guys? Patience. We know what James said, the brother of Jesus said, let patience have its perfect work. That you might be complete, lacking in nothing. In the book of Hebrews, it says that we should not cast away our confidence that has great recompense of reward, for we have need of patience that after we have done the will of God, guys, we might receive the promise. Now this, faith is a long obedience in the same direction. Faith is not some cognitive assertion to some kind of religious facts. It's the life that we live. It's a long obedience, persistent, and patience in the same direction. We know our imperfections. God knows them too. He knows that we're dust. He knows our frame. But he's given us this responsibility, and it's a holy responsibility. And you and I are called to the kingdom for such a time as this, aren't we? There's no mystery about that. The mystery is why we haven't captured the understanding of it. And then, of course, there's prayerfulness. But prayer is no substitute for obedience. Did you know that? A.W. Tozer made that statement. I've never forgotten it. Prayer is no substitute for obedience. You see, we can pray, pray, pray. A lot of men's prayers are just whining, like the children of Israel. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Lord, you don't know. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. Oh, yeah? Prayerfulness in our lives 
has to emanate from a life of godliness, a life that is persistent, a life that is patient, a life that is passionate, that provides, that protects, that's walking in principle and the presence of the Lord, keeping the purpose and perspective of the Lord. And when we do, then we are in a position of coming before the Lord, our Father, and trust him to respond. So God says, look, you will seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Then I'm going to be found of you. He said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give unto you an expected end or a future and a hope. But we have to be properly aligned. We don't want to come before God with unclean hands or an impure heart, right? Then, a father's purpose is translated into true fatherhood through the father's promise. So without promise, both toward sons and daughters and toward fathers, our purpose becomes little more than unfounded hope. It's just an abstraction. And that kind of hope is so perpetually put off that it makes the heart sick. It sucks the very substance of relational fatherhood out of the mix. And real fatherhood, by its very nature, implies promise to those under its fathering wings. And the true father's greatest desire, God and you and me, our greatest desire is the loving trust of our children and grandchildren. And without note, without trust, either expressed or implied, there's no, there's no hope. When either expressed or implied promise by a father is broken, trust is fractured, godly influence wanes, and our legacy is not going to be good. We have to walk in promise and then keep our promises. And then finally, the power of fatherhood. So fatherhood by its very nature is derived from God's fatherhood, and that's why it has power. Now, we're told that in any governmental system, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So then are we as earthly fathers to handle, how then are we as earthly fathers to handle such delegated power authority without corrupting it into a diabolical dictatorship? Well, the answer is in simple submission, always in an attitude of surrender to God, our Father's will. That's what Jesus did. He said, my will is to do the will of him that sent me. So you see, to become a father, I first have to become a son. Jesus had to live out his sonship so that he could be ultimately referred to as the everlasting father. And so... The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. And because of his willingness to humble himself, God highly exalted him. 
So in the same way, your fatherhood, your grandfatherhood is exalted, birthing godly influence and eternal kingdom legacy, but it's rooted in faithful obedience. Can you understand now why the word obey has fallen on such hard times? It's deemed a four-letter word in the church today. Pastor and people alike don't like that word. Yet it's the only word that the Bible tells us is the link between a godly legacy and our trust in the Lord. If you and I are not willing to obey God, we cannot expect our children to obey us. And the whole society will collapse and is collapsing. But even worse than that, there is a lawless spirit then that develops in our children and our grandchildren. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Sometimes you may not even know that as the kids are growing up. You might not even realize it. On my brother's deathbed several months ago, he confessed to me that from the age of 15 onward, he never believed the Bible, never believed any of it. What would your kids say? Really? This is a time for us all to take this matter seriously. It's a big deal. From the moment my first daughter was born, 48 years ago, God gripped my heart with this calling. It has been foremost in my mind and heart. I hope it will be foremost in yours. Get a copy of the book, Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy of the Last. The $23 hardbound book, yours for $18, on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Become a partner, send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay, friends. Let's join together and realize that it takes all of us working together to accomplish God's kingdom purposes in this unique moment of history. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.